Good morning and happy Easter. I want to first of all say uh, good morning to all of our members at Lindsley Avenue and tell you just how much I miss you and, and how much I enjoyed our Wednesday night class of being together virtually through Zoom. And so it's so good to be with you. We want to welcome all of our viewers today and I want to certainly extend to you a happy Easter as well. This is my favorite holiday and uh, we're going to be studying from 1 John 3, 1 through 3. So if you want to get your Bibles and prepared to get into that passage, go ahead and do that. Um, but this is my favorite time of year. And so today, even though we can't be together in person, I'm coming to you from my back porch. And so I hope that the change of scenery uh, will be something that's welcomed. And I think it's just highly appropriate for this time of year because it's... Uh, a beautiful time of year and a hopeful time of year. I want to first begin by talking about the word Easter. And, and sometimes the church has been criticized for the usage of the word Easter. And, uh, and the church has been accused of appropriating pagan culture into the, into the church. But it's interesting how that word entered the Christian vernacular. And it was a matter of translation. One of the first translators of the Bible into English was, of course, William Tyndale. He was a scholar par excellence. And in fact, uh, the King James Version used about 90% of his translation in the King James Version. But when he was translating the New Testament, he chose the word Easter. And it wasn't because the people of his audience were pagan. No, in fact, most of them were Christian. But the reason why he used the word Easter is because they understood the time of season that Easter was. And yes, it did in fact have pagan roots, uh, as far as the word Easter, but of course the people knew that that was the springtime. And he also coined the word Passover, and so why didn't he use the word Passover in Acts chapter 12 where he used it? Well, he had not uh, translated the Old Testament yet, and in fact when he does translate the Old Testament, he is the one who coins the word Passover. Uh, for that feast, that ancient feast uh, that the people of Israel would celebrate. So just a, a little history as far as the word Easter. So it's not about pagan appropriation, but it's about the audience of the 1500s being able to understand the time of the season in which Christ was raised and when the Passover happened. One of my favorite quotes concerning the resurrection is from Luther, where he says, Our Lord has written the promise of the resurrection not in books only, but in every leaf in springtime. And certainly when we look at the renewal of creation, the renewal of nature that happens in the spring, it gives us hope, eternal hope, for that spiritual uh, resurrection and that spiritual renewal that will happen 
at the very end. The promise of the resurrection. And the promise of the resurrection is about the future. The future. What do, what do we mean by the future? Well, it's the time after the present. And we all want to know the future, don't we? I'm reminded of a story of a frog. And the frog wants to be a prince. But in order for the frog to become a prince, he has to fall in love. And he has to have a beautiful girl, a princess, to fall in love with him. So he goes to a fortune teller. And the fortune teller begins to talk about his future and says, I see in your future you are going to meet a beautiful woman. From the moment she sets eyes on you, she will have an insatiable desire to know everything about you. She will be compelled to get close to you. You will fascinate her. And so the frog then asked the fortune teller, well, where am I going to be? Is this going to be in a, in a singles club? And then the fortune teller says, no, it's, it's biology class. The future. It's not always what we expect. It's not always what we anticipate. But we want to know the future. And getting to the future is universal, isn't it? The way that we get to the future. C.S. Lewis said it like this, something which everyone reaches at the rate of 60 minutes an hour. Whatever he does, whoever he is. And isn't that true? No matter how tall or short, rich or poor, no matter who you are, we all get to the future at the same rate of time, don't we? There are certainly people who were ahead of their time and had the ability to, to see into the future. And I'm not just talking about the prophets of old who spoke by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it says in 2 Peter 1.21. I'm talking about there have been people and thinkers who seemed to know what the future held. People like Socrates, who once famously said that the unexamined life is not worth living, that introspection, contemplation, rationality. And he also says that he was no longer, he was no not only a citizen of Athens or Greece, but he was a citizen of the world. He had an understanding of things in a very deep way. Or maybe someone like Hippocrates, who three or four hundred years before Christ advanced medical knowledge uh, and also took into consideration ethics with his uh, medical practice and what became as the Hippocratic Oath. Or someone like Copernicus, who was able to understand that the solar system was heliocentric as opposed to the earth being in the center of the solar system. Or Isaac Newton, who was able to understand the fundamentals of physics and to be able to articulate that in the laws of motion. 
or of course Einstein who developed general and special relativity or Charles Babbage the one who first had a mechanical computer and of course our forefathers Thomas Jefferson in particular who were able to craft a republic a democracy and to write those words we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal people who were ahead of their time and maybe our past is the key to the future maybe looking back will help us to understand the future it was Churchill who once said the longer you look back the farther you can look forward which finally gets me to my main subject which is how we understand who Jesus is and of course Jesus asked this question to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 whom do men say that I am his identity is very very important and how we understand Jesus is the key to all of our futures when we begin to think about Jesus a lot of times what we think about is that Jesus is this person in the past and that's certainly so the event of Jesus entering into this world in the fullness of time it says in Galatians chapter 4 4 that Christ was brought into this world born of woman and born under the law and certainly Jesus is in the past but even our understanding of who Jesus is in the past is different from everyone else because when when we talk about Jesus and when the scriptures present Jesus they present him as the eternal word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and Jesus spoke of he and the father being together from the very beginning of time in John chapter 17 and Paul talked about Jesus being in the form of God, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. So even when we begin to look back at Jesus in the past, we begin to understand that his past was eternal, which is very different than anyone else. And certainly when we begin to think about today, in the present time there was a promise that Jesus made to his disciples where he said lo I am with you always even till the end of the age so even though Christ has been removed from us in bodily presence he promised that he would be present with us through the Holy Spirit but then we have to discuss the future and really that's what first John chapter 3 talks about is the future and there's a beautiful passage here where John begins by saying in first John 3 
Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. John offers this picture of the future to where Christ will fully be revealed to humanity. And in that revealing, we will be changed. We will be transformed, as it says in Philippians 3, because we see him as he is. When we think about the future, we got to think about right now. And that's why the next verse in verse 3, it says, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. When we look at the present condition of humanity, we're all painfully reminded of our shortcomings. We're painfully reminded that our world is wrecked in sin and suffering and death, that the fallenness of man is so very, very well seen right now. One of the things that's so hard to come to terms with is when someone we love passes away. And of course, in the natural understanding of life and death, without Christ, without the resurrection of Jesus, death is final. Death is the end. There is no afterlife without the resurrection of Jesus. When we think about the present time, we think about the rebellion of man, the sinfulness of man, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin are death, Romans 6.23. Or Paul said it like this in Romans 5.12, Through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. Death spread to all men, because all have sinned. And when we think about that current situation, we could fall into despair, couldn't we? Because it's very depressing to think about the finality of death. It is appointed and the man wants to die. And of course, we know that that is a universal law. We often say there's two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. And even though our tax date got moved back, rest assured that There'll come a day where we have to pay our taxes, and, and it's certainly true of death. And this is why Jesus is so important, because Jesus is the miraculous intervention of God and man. And so Christ represents the intervention outside of time 
eternal entering in the present. One of the things about us because of our natural mindset is that we are short-sighted. We are short-sighted in our ability to understand what is ahead. There's a little story, and it's called the parable of the acorn, which really illustrates our short-sightedness and our inability to grasp spiritual things. But I hope that this little parable, it's not original to me, will help understand who you are and also who Jesus is and the connection there. The parable goes like this. Once upon a time, in a not-so-far-away land, there was a kingdom of acorns nestled at the foot of a grand oak tree. Since the citizens of this kingdom were modern, fully westernized acorns, they went about their business with purposeful energy. And since they were midlife, baby boomer acorns, they engaged in a lot of self-help courses. There were seminars called Getting All You Can Out of Your Shell. There were woundedness and recovery groups for acorns who had been bruised in their original fall from the tree. There were spas for oiling and polishing those shells and various acornopathic therapies to enhance longevity and well-being. But one day in the midst of the kingdom, there suddenly appeared a naughty little stranger, and he apparently dropped out of the blue by a passing bird. He was capless and dirty, making an immediate negative impression on his fellow acorns. And crouched beneath the oak tree, he stammered out a wild tale. He pointed upward at the tree, and he said, We are that. Delusional thinking. Obviously, the other acorns concluded, but one of them continued to engage him in conversation. So, so tell us, how would we become that tree? Well, said he, pointing downward, it has something to do with going into the ground and cracking open the shell. Insane, they responded, totally morbid. Why then, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be acorns anymore. I think this story really illustrates the short-sightedness of we who are acorns. And Christ came to us to tell us we are more than what we are, that we can become something greater, and it's that it is through the knowledge of who Jesus is. You see, Christ is the very picture of that future. And the key to that future is the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 gives us this truth. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, and when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. You see, Christ's resurrection is the means and the ends to our existence. That his resurrection is the key to the afterlife. It says in this scripture that Jesus is the first fruits, that Jesus is the first to be raised from the dead. And because of his resurrection, because of his conquering death, because of that, we too will know the resurrection and eternal life. Paul also gives this other picture in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Sometimes when we think about Christ, we fail to picture him in the future. We look at the past and we see him as this ancient figure and certainly Christ was a part of the culture and the look and the idioms of the first century and the language of the first century of Palestine. But Christ also comes to us from the future. He is the future of you and I. And it says that we were destined to be conformed to his image. What was lost in Adam is restored in Christ. Which is not only our moral life and our spiritual purity, but it's also eternal life. And isn't that the hope that we have in Christ together? So as you and I think about the future, and the future can give us a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry because it's beyond our control. Jesus spoke about tomorrow. He says, therefore do not worry about tomorrow in Matthew chapter 6, 34. Sufficient today is its own trouble. But not only should we center ourselves in the here and now, we should rest assured of what the future holds because Christ is the future. Christ comes to us from the future. And as 1 John chapter 3, behold what manner it is to be called children of God, the love that God is expressing through Christ, and we shall be like him.
for we shall see him as he is. That is the beautiful hope because Christ was raised from the dead. You and I will live. As a part of our service today, we want to reflect on what happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. That Christ, in the darkness of a Friday, was crucified for our sins. He rested on the Sabbath day and was raised on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. And it says that the tomb was found empty. And then Jesus appeared, recorded in Scripture some 12 times to his disciples. And it says in Acts chapter 1, appeared alive by infallible proofs for 40 days after his crucifixion. And 1 Corinthians 15 says that he appeared unto 500 people at one time who Paul says most of those remain alive to this day when Paul wrote the letter, letter to Corinthians. Christ is alive. And what a hope we have in him. So now let's reflect on this bread which represents his body. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for loving us so much that you gave your only begotten Son, that he gave of himself, that he gave of his body, that our sins might be forgiven. Help us to partake of this bread in a way and manner which is pleasing in your sight. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. The scriptures tell us that in blood is life. And so Christ gave of his blood his life that we might live. So let's partake of this fruit of the vine which forgives our sins, the blood of Jesus. Father, thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we find in the blood of Christ. Help us to to remain in a state of grace with you by remaining pure this week. Cleanse us of our sins, and we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on this Easter Sunday. And I just want you to know that we have the greatest promise ever made to humanity and the most profound answer to right now, which is following Christ. And if we follow Christ, we too shall live. God bless you. Happy Easter.